you weren't actually going ashore while you were at the Indian Islands, but you were able to drive through and see. We take all the passengers out on small boats called Zodiac, and we just kind of drive around. Welcome to On Arrival, the Traveler's Podcast. We're your hosts, KT and Jordan. Throughout our 20s, we've lived and traveled all around the world and fell in love with exploring new cultures. Here at On Arrival, we interview some of the world's most eccentric travelers to hear their original and authentic stories. We hope this show inspires you to take your next trip. And that when you land, you have a game plan. On Arrival. Our guest today is a deck officer in the United States Merchant Marines and a lieutenant in the U.S. Navy Reserves. He has been sailing professionally since 2015. During his time at sea, he's traveled to six continents, circumnavigating the globe. Most recently, you can find him sailing for Lindblad Expeditions and National Geographic in Alaska. Welcome to today's show, Victor Otobani. Thanks for having me. Welcome. And we want to just start off by saying thank you for your service. We know you're currently in the Navy Reserves now, but we want to say thank you. <laughs> I also want to say, what's up, man? Why haven't you gone to the Seventh Continent? I was supposed to <laughs> last year and then, uh, well, yeah, COVID, unfortunately, kept me from getting down to Australia. COVID's responsible for a lot of I was supposed to plans. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the interview today. The first question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your most memorable travel experience? I think my most memorable travel experience is the first time I actually got to set foot on the continent of Antarctica back in 2019. It was on a vacation of mine after I had gotten off of a ship that I had been on for a few months. And we took uh, paddleboards from the ship out, essentially, and got to go in. And just that moment where you kind of step onto the actual continent of Antarctica is just this really weird experience to realize that me and the few people that were down there with me were the only people on that stretch of land for miles. Yeah, it's got to be surreal. And to think about being one of the few people that actually ever get to go there. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll go there, KT? I don't know. No. Maybe. No. It's not like high up on my priority list, but maybe after this interview, <laughs> Victor will change my mind. <laughs> so tell us about Antarctica. Like what stood out to you? I think the thing that stood out to me the most is just how much life is actually down in Antarctica. Like normally you'd kind of think of it as just ice and snow, but there's a lot of life both in the water and on land. Yeah, we just heard a story. Who was it? Gary. Uh -oh. Gary Arndt told us okay. about arriving in Antarctica and seeing all the penguins. Yeah, he said it smelled really bad. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, some parts of it, you definitely smell it before you see it. But <laughs> Caitlin Lubis in her episode also told us about Antarctica too. So She said the smell wasn't that bad and you got used to it. Maybe because of COVID, it's been a popular destination. <laughs> Not a lot of people. <laughs> you can't go anywhere else. So I was like, well, you might as well go to Antarctica. So we got to confess, before we booked the interview, we didn't really know much about the Merchant Marines. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that don't know who they are. So can you tell everyone who are the Merchant Marines? The Merchant Marine is basically everyone that's out at sea working professionally that isn't necessarily in the military. Some of us are in the reserves and everything, but it's predominantly those people that you see on the big container ships or tanker ships, moving things back and forth to different countries. 
but it's also people who are working on cruise ships, research vessels, a few hospital ships out there. So it's a wide spectrum of just people who work on the water professionally. Interesting. And what called you to get involved in joining the Merchant Marine Academy? Like, did you have a passion for sailing when you were younger? Is that where it stemmed from? Yeah, I always kind of knew that I wanted to work on the water. I didn't know much about the Merchant Marine until I started looking at different schools to go into. And I kind of realized early on that just going, locking myself into one branch of service, whether it was the Naval Academy or the Coast Guard Academy, wasn't the most appealing thing for me because I didn't know enough. And the Merchant Marine Academy gave me a chance to kind of explore my options while I was at school. Yeah, it seems like you can do so much being a Merchant Marine. And who would have known that all these people were, like that there was a professional academy. I had no idea that there was like the school that everybody goes to, to like operate these ships. Vessels, yeah. Yeah, there's only a few big collegiate schools for it. There's, I think, five or six state ones and then the federal one that I went to. But it's not the most common career path, that's for sure. We like that, though. We don't do the most common career paths either. I think it's cool. (laughs) We were fascinated looking at everything. And we thought there's got to be people out there that would be called to do the same thing. So what was it like for someone listening and interested? What is it like? How do you get in? There's a lot of different ways to get into the Merchant Marine, whether you're going the unlicensed route, which is kind of like starting from a entry level position and working your way up. The schools, like the state academies or the Merchant Marine Academy, you go there for four years. You do almost like an internship of a year out at sea. And when you graduate, you come out with a license either in deck or engineering. Okay. So tell us about the academy then. Where is the academy? What was it like to go to the academy? I mean, you did four years. Was it traditional like college experience? What was that like? Definitely not a traditional college experience. It's a federal (laughs) service academy. So it's still very much, it's very similar to just what you'd imagine a military academy was like. Uniforms, waking up early, marching around in formations. A little bit less freedom <laughs> while you're at school, for sure. Definitely a intense program. You kind of pack four years of college into three years at the school because you're still spending a year out at sea as well. Right. But the school itself is out on Long Island. Okay. I was wondering where was it actually located? And is there like a prerequisite for that? Like, do you have to have been in the service? No, it's like other federal service academies. The big thing is that it's a longer application process. You have to get a congressional nomination. You have to score certain scores on ACTs or SATs, depending on where you're going to school. And then you have to go in. You don't have to have a specific grade point average, but you need high enough for them to actually look at it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So excellence is what they're looking for. Okay. I like it. So then to graduate, you go through your three years. Now tell us about what that year at C is like. You know, obviously you you've only had basic training. So like that year has got to be crazy. Yeah, they divide it up. So you go out twice. So the first time you go out is for four months. And when I did that, I went out with a friend of mine and we did four months on a container ship that went from Long Beach to Guam and then out to China and then back and just did that loop for a little while. And that's honestly, I think the best time for you to actually learn that first time, whether or not you're interested in doing this kind of stuff. You can hear about something like, in a classroom as much as you want, but until you're actually out there learning to do things yourself, you're not really going to understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think that's why they probably, you know, three years of schooling, but you have to do that one year because it's like firsthand experience that you need for a job like this. Yeah, there's not many things that's very comparable to being out at sea for weeks at a time. 
Yeah, you can't replicate that. You got to you, gotta do <laughs> you just got to do it. <laughs> so since you graduated, what has your career with the Merchant Marines look like? When I graduated, I got a job with the Navy's Military Sealift Command, which is an organization inside the Navy that operates a lot of their auxiliary ships, which are predominantly supply or support vessels. That includes like the hospital ships that were out in New York and I think Los Angeles last year at the start of the pandemic, mm-hmm. ammunition and supply ships that are kind of resupplying aircraft carriers and destroyers while they're out at sea and doing sometimes like humanitarian aid and sea lift capability stuff. Yeah, I actually saw that you were a rescue swimmer. I was. That was through the Navy for Military Sea Lift Command. So I went through their rescue swimmer school down in Jacksonville because our ships all required to have at least two of them if you were going to have a working air detachment for helicopters, which most of our supply ships and the hospital ships needed. So right. training to be a rescue swimmer sounds brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to hear about it, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of time in the water. I was on the swim team and I could maybe do it. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. That was like one year. I definitely couldn't. (laughs) I'm just trying to picture them going and opening the door of the helicopter and telling you to jump in the ocean, in the middle of the ocean. You can see no land. Yeah, that'd be scary. How was that? You tell us. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty amazing. One ship I was on operated out of Guam and we made it a point to do like our training. We would try and get in the water at least once a month, but we tried to make it a point to do it over Challenger Deep at the Mariana Trench. So you knew that you were just kind of swimming over the deepest part of the ocean. It was a lot of fun. It's terrifying. (laughs) But fun to someone that loves the sea. Like he said, that is his love, you know. That's true. Her and I have had this conversation. The ocean is like the scariest place in the world. To us. And the most fascinating. It is fascinating, but it's also very scary. Mm-hmm. And I commend you because I'm not swimming over that trench. It's uncharted <laughs> territory. So you just don't know what to expect. And I think that's what makes it kind of scary. Yeah. Do you agree? I completely agree. It's one of those things. You hear it every now and then that we know more about space than we do about what's inside our ocean and everything. And I feel like every couple of months you read about a new species that they discovered. like Yeah. Or the species that we know about doing something weird that they've never seen before. It's mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, it's it's really cool. And it is kind of scary to think about it that way. <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> I'll give you that, but I'm not yeah. jumping in there either. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering, like, can you walk us through like a day in the life? What is a ship like? What are your duties for the day? Just walk us through like what it'd be like. For people in my position, a lot of it is built around at least eight hours of time standing watch on the bridge. So for at least eight hours every day, you're usually driving the ship, making sure that we're going in the right direction. We're not hitting anything. Some places that's easier than others. Most recently up in Alaska, it's pretty easy to make sure I'm going in the right direction because I'm close enough to the coast that I can always see things. But in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anything to really judge it off of other than like the sky, it can be a little bit disorienting if you're not paying attention. Yeah. For sure. KT can't follow Google Maps. <laughs> oh, you got the jokes today. Okay. So in your time in the Merchant Marine, how much time do you get to like explore? Do you get to yourself? It really depends. When I was with MSC or Military Sealift Command, prior to COVID, we'd usually be in port for a decent amount of time. I think the longest I spent in one place, we got close to a month in a few places, just depending on what we were needed for in that area. 
with a lot of the merchant shipping and container stuff, it's all about speed. So when I was going right. on that container ship to China, I think the longest we'd stay in Shanghai was about 18 hours. And then we'd turn around and get out of there. How was Shanghai? It seems like a really cool city. The little bit of it that I've seen was pretty crazy. Yeah. I think it's gotten even crazier since I left. I didn't get to see too much of Shanghai, unfortunately, because it was such short stops. Mm-hmm. So would you recommend somebody to join the Merchant Marines as a way to see the world more? I think I would. There are definitely organizations and companies that are in port longer that you could have a chance to see more of. Like I said, with MSC, I saw a lot, whether I was in Japan or Korea. Um, I spent a lot of time in Singapore. I mean, the first ship I sailed for with MSC was the hospital ship Mercy. And the very first foreign port I went to, I hadn't even heard of until we were going in that direction. So (laughs) it's definitely an interesting way to see the world. Yeah. And you go to places that aren't common a lot of the time, it seems like. So that's also really unique about the position. Yeah. During your time at sea, you've been to six continents. Where has been your favorite so far, if you had to pick one? If I had to pick one, I would probably say, of the six continents, I'd probably say Asia, just because I think I've spent the most time out there. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the most variety of countries out there comparatively. Yeah, that's funny. Since the beginning of the show, we've talked about how bad we want to go to Asia. So hopefully in 2022... You know, when when they open up again. And when did you go to Asia? When were you there? Throughout the majority of my career, I was sailing out in what the Navy would call Seventh Fleet, so the Far East. The first parts of it I told you guys about on uh, the container ship was Guam and China. Mm -hmm. Then I went on the Mercy. It was all Southeast Asia. I went to Timor-Leste, the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia. I was in Singapore for a little while, Japan for a lot of my time out there, Korea. So I've gotten kind of more experience in that whole part of the world and gotten to see the variety just between all those different countries there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some like of the cultural experiences that stood out to you on those trips? I think Japan, just because I spent the most time there, I got to really appreciate the differences in that culture more. It's a very different kind of urban lifestyle than like New York, where I was going to school. It almost seems like organized chaos in a way. It's really hard to describe how you can have so many people living in a relatively small area, but it never feels too crowded. Mm -hmm. So many good things that people have to say about Japan. It just makes you want to go there. We haven't had one bad review about Japan, that's for sure. (laughs) What was your favorite thing about Japan? Was there like the cuisine or just the culture or their way of life, it seems like was pretty different and stood out to you. I mean, the food is amazing. Absolutely. But I think the thing I appreciated the most about Japan was how easy it is to get anywhere in that country. Like even if you don't know the language, I mean, English is so common out there, but they make getting around, whether it's by train or bus, just a really easy process. So when I was just taking a few weeks off, I was able to get all around the main island without really any effort. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds nice. (laughs) So Jordan and I have been on a cruise ship, obviously. And when we were on our honeymoon in Hawaii, we went on the battleship Missouri. And I'm just wondering, is the battleship Missouri probably the closest thing to one of these ships that you were on? (laughs) No, 
the active duty Navy ships are designed a lot differently than the supply ships Mm -hmm. because they're crewed by civilians. They're built to a different standard. You don't need to dedicate as much space on there to things like weapons or anything like that. People have a little bit more space on there because we have less people on our ships, but they're also bigger. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering that, like how many people are in the crew that you're working with on the ship? On the supply ships, it was usually anywhere from like 100 to 130. Okay. But now like the Lindblad ships, the cruise ships that people go on, those are usually closer to like 40 to 80 people, depending on how big it is. Mm-hmm. So you bring up my next point and I want to switch gears. You got a really cool job now with Lindblad. And we've seen some videos and it's like... So cool. If you uh, have time, just Google just look Lindblad, it up. Lindblad, Lindblad uh, Cruise. Na- yeah, National Geographic. It's crazy. It's very so cool. So how did that come up? Tell us about that. I was actually on reserve duty out in Bahrain at the start of the year. And I was just kind of at the point where I wanted to change things up a little bit. So I was looking at finding a different shipping organization or even looking to go shoreside. And I kind of had this moment where I realized I didn't want to do an office job still. And I think I was just on LinkedIn and I saw that there were positions open for Lindblad, which is a company I had always kind of like looked at potentially trying to work for at some point pretty soon after that they liked what they saw and I was able to join up with them. That sounds amazing. I mean, who wouldn't be impressed? I mean... A rescue swimmer off of his. Yeah, yeah they're like, oh, uh, yeah, you can, like, you can you hop it. on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to us about the ships then. You're on a cruise ship. You just came back from Alaska, like just got back. Tell us about yeah, your ship. I uh, just got back a few days ago. I was on the National Geographic Venture, which is one of the four ships that operate predominantly out of the States. Mm-hmm. And the Venture and the sister ship, the Quest, operate almost entirely out of the West Coast. So. The venture will go up to Alaska. We'll go down to the Pacific Northwest. We'll do some stuff down by like the Channel Islands. And then in the winter months, our big item is down in Baja in the Sea of Cortez. And then the quest goes over to Costa Rica and the Panama Canal that does similar stuff in Alaska as us. So you have passengers, like full-fledged families on these trips with you? Yeah. A lot of the expedition ships are kind of interesting in that you'll get people who are there for all kinds of different reasons. Like I was on an expedition ship a few years ago to Antarctica and I was going down there just because I wanted to see it. And at the same time, there were some people that were doing like scientific research and they were using the ship as kind of like a base to do it from National Geographic stuff. We'll have like photographers from Nat Geo coming out there. We'll have different teams of people who are maybe doing some research or just going down there for scientific curiosity. But you get an interesting mix of passengers, expedition staff, and brew on there. I think that's really cool that there is that mix because like no offense to the other cruise companies, but a lot of cruises you hop on and everybody's there for like the same kind of reason. And now it seems like there's just more depth, more, I don't know. Versatility and like, you know, you get to hear everyone's story on the ship. Yeah, it's much more interesting to have that mix of people and purpose. I agree. (laughs) I, I definitely agree. I think expedition sailing has a lot Not a lot more to offer, but I think it's got a wider variety of things to offer than regular cruising. So I think it's a really interesting route that not too many people know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And about that, like we were looking at some of the excursions. Yeah. I want to hear about, is there a specific excursion that passengers went on that you were like, wow, that's really cool. People need to know about this. 
in the time that I was on the venture, I think we definitely had a few excursions that I think were really interesting. My personal favorite was always the Indian Islands up kind of to the northern end of southeast Alaska. You weren't actually going ashore while you were at the Indian Islands, but you were able to drive through and see. We take all the passengers out on small boats called Zodiac. And we just kind of drive mm-hmm. around these islands in the middle of nowhere that are just teeming with wildlife. The water behaves in a really weird way because you've got all these really deep channels meeting up with the Pacific Ocean. It's just a really interesting side of places like Alaska or Mexico that you just don't get to see if you're just going down there for a week and doing the usual tourist route. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to Alaska and you hear about the glaciers and landscapes that you see. I just want to know from your experience, what was it like to see that for the first time? It's amazing. It really is hard to describe how wild it is to look at Alaska. And then if you dig into just beyond what you're just seeing, like understanding that a glacier carved out a thousand feet underneath you over the course of years, and you've still got all this ice and wildlife. It's just a hard thing to put into words. But even just seeing it doesn't do it justice to it's nice. That's why it's really nice that we have people who are on our expedition team whose entire career is understanding that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw in the videos, like they saw bears and seals and whales. And I mean, the wildlife too, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Wildlife is really crazy. We got lucky with a few of ours. We had a whale do what's called bubble net feeding, where it just circles around fish blowing bubbles and kind of keeps them all into one circle and then jumps up and eats out of it. And they did that right next to our ship. It was insane. Yeah. You're not getting that on a, on a carnival cruise. (laughs) (laughs) You might, you never know. (laughs) Is there anything crazy that you've seen at sea that you were like, Oh my gosh, I don't know if you've had any run in with pirates, but I just have to ask before (laughs) we get off this call. I want to know. Not pirates. I've had some weird experiences, some heavy storms. That was a really wild first experience to sail anywhere near a typhoon for the first time. Yeah, there are some interesting experiences. I was working on one ship a few years ago where we were on our way out of a port called Fujairo over in the Middle East. And at some point, the tugboat that was pulling us out had run up onto the side of our ship. And we never really noticed this until we were out for a while. And as we were going, our chief engineer was asking who kept adding water to this one tank up forward and who kept like taking it away. So they put the boats in the water with me in it to go and swim around and take a look. And sure enough, there was just a hole in the side of the bow from where that tugboat had ridden up. And we were supposed to do some swim training at that point. And then all of a sudden we were told that we had to turn around and move really quickly because a less than friendly ship had just been reported in the area. So we were speeding around trying to make sure that we were keeping this part of our ship out of the water so more water didn't get into the ship it was a really interesting couple of weeks so no run-ins with pirates but he did almost have a run-in with some pirates less than friendly ship (laughs) less than friendly ship who knows what that means (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about some of the other Lindblad cruises because alaska is just one of them alaska is just one of them i Unfortunately, haven't been on their other ships, but we just recently put a new ship into our fleet called the Endurance, and that's the newest one for Antarctic and Arctic sailing. The pictures and videos that I've seen come out of that ship are insane. I highly recommend taking a look. I'm definitely going to try and get out there as soon as I get a chance. But we do them all over the place. The Galapagos is a really common destination for some of the Lindblad ships. 
We have some that go out through the Nile and do Egyptian cruises, which are really interesting. We have one tall ship called the Sea Cloud, which I think is doing Mediterranean cruises this year, but sometimes they're over in the Caribbean. So that's old-fashioned square rigging sailboats that are cruising mm-hmm. around. So a little bit of a different experience than the other kinds. But yeah, we've got 14 ships all covering different parts of the world. They're all pretty incredible trips. It seems like really rich, the experience you get on one of these. Yeah, because these excursions that you're going on, you're not just going with a lot of times a tour guide is very qualified, but also like this is someone that might have dedicated their whole life to photographing wildlife or researching researching area, yeah this you know? animal or that animal like you're really hearing from them that's really amazing i'm wondering about duration because i'm thinking about the cruise i went on it was a five-day excursion you knew exactly what you were doing each day how does it work with you guys so the length all depends on what ship where you are like your average antarctic trip is going to take anywhere from 10 to 20 days depending on how long of a trip you decide to go on. Mm-hmm. Some trips are as short as like three or four days. My ship predominantly does about a week. And you get an idea of what you're doing ahead of time. But because of expedition travel being expedition travel, it can always change a little bit. Like we've had to mm-hmm. change destinations depending on weather. When I was out just recently, we were starting to think we may have to shuffle a few things around because there had been an earthquake out at sea. And then part of Southeast Alaska was under tsunami watch. So that was kind of changing where we had to go. But usually I think that if you're going to an expedition ship, you kind of go in knowing that things can always be a little bit more flexible. But no matter what you're going to see, interesting stuff, you're going to hear from interesting people and you're going to have a really enriching experience that way. Yeah, it almost makes it better. Yeah, it's real. Because you don't know what to expect. But it sounds incredible. I'm already like ready to start researching. I know. We said that's one of the issues we have with this podcast is now we want to go on all of these <laughs> trips. All these like, trips and tours. And we're just going to add the Limblad National Geographic to the list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a question. She does not do well with the water, specifically getting seasick. Yeah. What is that like on these cruises? They seem like smaller boats and like more still water. Is that better on these boats? So people react differently all the time. We know that going in, we carry a lot of seasickness medication. I'm fortunate in that it's never really been an issue for me. So I don't necessarily know like how bad it can feel for some people because I've been through some really rough water and just felt fine. Some people, as soon as the ship gets moving, even in flat water, they have trouble with it. But that's why we have all the seasickness medication. Mm -hmm. Do you have a suggestion that has worked for, say, different crew members or guests on the boat? I see where you're going. Yeah. I just want to know, do you have something that you're like, yeah, I've heard pretty good success with this? I've always heard that just being outside and kind of focusing at like one point on the horizon tends to help people. I think the big thing is to do it while you're outside when you can. I think that fresh air really does help. Mm -hmm. but. I think the best thing is just to make sure that you do have that seasickness medication ahead of time too. Like if you know you're going to get seasick or you start to feel that way, it's better to just take the medication and that way Mm -hmm. you kind of get out ahead of it. You don't want to ruin your time just because you're trying to feel a little tougher by not taking the medication. You know what I mean? Like it's better to just take it, get ahead of it. And that way you can get used to using. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned from what you just said is that there is no hope for me because (laughs) I took the medication. I had the patches. I was ready to go. Well, Um, Sam gave us different advice. So Sam Elliott, who is a performer on a Royal Caribbean. Yes. Ship in Singapore. Her suggestion. Yeah. We'll drop that link. Her suggestion was green apples. So what I took from this is go outside, get some fresh air, look at the horizon and And eat a green apple. apple. <laughs> yeah, hey. I mean, maybe we've all just got different parts of this, and we just need to put it all together. Yeah, everybody needs to have a whole conversation. That's the problem. There's no communication. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm wondering, like, do you see yourself continuing? I know you mentioned it, but do you see yourself going to different destinations with the Limblad Expedition crew and just venturing out to new places? I do. I think I really, really like. The ship I was on, I like the crew, the expedition team. I have a feeling I'm going to stay with Lindblad for a little while. And I just, I love working on the water. And this has been a good way for me to do it as well. Yeah. And like you said, you don't want to take up that office job. Why do that when you can? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when that scenery is your office, why would you want an office? Yeah. Whenever I did have to do work shoreside, it was kind of a different experience waking up knowing that I would have to drive somewhere, figure that whole thing out, sit in an office. Whereas when I was sailing with Lindblad these last seven, eight weeks, I'd wake up in the morning and just be like really happy and really excited to get up and see what was going on for the rest of the day. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. So you just got back home and you, as you told us, you plan to keep working with Lindblad. Do you have plans for where you're going next? The next time I'm meeting the ship will be up in October. And I believe right now I'm supposed to meet the ship in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Because, again, this is kind of an interesting year where things are a little bit fluid. So I don't necessarily know what the schedule is going to be like when I meet up with them. But I know later in the year we get into like the Baja season. So I'm really looking forward to that. Right. But right now, all I know is that I'm going to be out in Seattle. I've got a few training classes that I'm taking between now and then. And that's about it. Baja sounds great right now. (laughs) (laughs) no matter what like at the end of the day i'd love a good beach so yeah so we wanted to say thank you thank you for what you do we know that the merchant marines are very important to the u.s so we have a strong presence on the seas and for sharing your experience with the national geographic crew that sounds amazing and we're adding another activity to our travel bucket list list (laughs) so where can we follow your adventures my Instagram is on.autopilot, but auto is spelled O-T-T-L. Perfect. We will put that in the show notes. And yeah, I'm really interested to follow your next adventure in October. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of On Arrival. We've had so much fun recording these episodes and sharing them with you every week. If you like this episode, share it with somebody. And don't forget to subscribe to our show, On Arrival Podcast, on all podcast platforms. We would really appreciate it if you would write us a positive review wherever you choose to listen. And look for us on social media at On Arrival Travel on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're looking for more episodes, you can always head over to onarrival.com.